0: We do read in Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, keep in mind a couple of weeks ago when we opened up this chapter that Jesus was invited to dinner, accepting an invitation to dine with the ruler of the synagogue. It was on the Sabbath day. Now being a ruler of the synagogue, a Pharisee of, uh, that was a the ruler, there were 6,000 Pharisees in the land. They were a sect of the religious leaders that had dedicated themselves to keeping the most minute details of the law. And the, 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 the greatest law that they really would focus on is keeping of the Sabbath day. No work is to be done on the Sabbath. So what this ruler of the synagogue or this ruler of the Pharisees did was invite Jesus. There are other scribes and religious leaders that are there. And keep in mind that being a ruler of the Pharisees, it would mean that he would be on that council, the Jewish Supreme Court. It was called the Sanhedrin Council. They were the ones that issued judgment concerning the religious life of the Jews in the land. It was made up of 70 members of Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees were the other main sect of religious leaders in the land. Presided over that council was the high priest Caiaphas. And in a couple months, what we're going to see is when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he is bound up. He's taken to Caiaphas' house at night where he will be under trial before the Sanhedrin council. They will condemn him to death. They will then begin to beat him and then hand him over to Pontius Pilate to the Romans. And so Jesus, knowing all that's going to be before him, and in a few months, that's going to take place. It's interesting that he accepts this invitation to one of those that's on the council, to one of those who's going to be you know, there when they condemn him and begin to be him. But understand this, that Jesus, there are three times in Luke's gospel that he accepted an invitation to a Pharisee's house. He wants to try to get to them and win over their hypocrisy and their religiousness. He loved them. And so he's trying to minister to them. And what they did was in Luke chapter 14 is they had this man who had a disease. He was hurting. He was going to die, dropsy. And they put that man right in front of Jesus. So there was no way Jesus could avoid him. And they did that to try to find a reason to accuse Jesus. They watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath day. And one of the traditions, one of the rules, of course, on the Sabbath was that there is be no healing on the Sabbath day, because that was considered work. And Jesus, addressing that Pharisee and the other scribes, said, "Is it lawful to heal on a Sabbath day? And which one of you that if you had a donkey or an ox that would fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, you would pull him out, you would save him. And yet you're saying that freeing somebody from a disease that they're going to die from, healing them? That, that that's not lawful. So Jesus, after he would deal with their hypocrisy, their religiousness, then he would turn to the guests. He noticed how they were trying to get the best seats and trying to get up front. And, and Jesus would say, as he told the story, listen, that when you go to a feast, don't try to take the best place up front. Uh, don't try to take the, the best place uh, as you sit down to get recognition to To have people look at you and say, look at them. They're up front. But it's going to be embarrassing for you if the host comes up with another and says, you have to move to the back. This place is for another. And Jesus was showing them that whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then thirdly, we left off last time with Jesus addressing the host of that feast. And he says, when you give a feast, don't just invite the important people that's you know, going to, to make you look good. You're trying to gain recognition by having the important people here and sitting up front, but rather what you are to do is you are to invite the poor, the, the lame, the blind, and you're gonna be rewarded in the resurrection of the just in eternity. And we need to know that the Lord desires for us to go out and issue an invitation to others who are spiritually poor, who are spiritually blind, spiritually lame, an invitation to come to a great feast. And that's what Jesus is going to be talking about in a parable, because as he brings up this subject... All of a sudden, he's still at the table, and a guy from somewhere, as he hears Jesus talking about the resurrection of the just and this feast that's going to take place in heaven, again, we read that he said, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God, verse 15. So let's talk about the kingdom. This guy picked up on the word blessed, I believe, in verse 14. Speaking of being blessed, it is the one who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And I imagine that this individual is presuming that all those that are there, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the guests that are there, all trying to get the best seats, uh, those who are descendants of Abraham, that all of them are going to be in heaven and eating bread in heaven. The religious leaders, the guests, the hosts. Jesus had something to say to every single one of them. He had truth to give to them, just as he has truth to give to every single one of us this morning. And, and Jesus, saying you want to talk about eating bread in the kingdom, he's going to talk about and give a parable about a man who gave a great feast, a large banquet, inviting many people. Now, in the minds of the Jews, getting invited to a great supper, a great feast, that would be exciting. It it should be thrilling. It should be a privilege to be invited to that great supper, even as we read it. If you got invited to a a great supper, a great feast, you would be excited, most of us would. And verse 16, as we continue, Jesus said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. So it wasn't just a weekend barbecue. But this was a great supper, this was a big deal, and verse sixteen tells us that many were invited to this banquet, to this great feast. As we continue, Jesus says, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who are invited, Come for all things are now ready. Now back in this time in ancient time, you would give the date of the banquet. The people knew the date, but they didn't know the hour. They didn't know the exact time. It was only when the host, in making great preparation, getting things ready, when things were ready to go, maybe it was at noon, maybe at 3 o'clock, maybe right before sunset, but when the hour came for the banquet to take place, Then the host or the servants would go out and tell everybody, everything is ready. Just says, come, all things are now ready for you to come to this banquet. And it reminds me so much of what Jesus said concerning his coming in Luke chapter 12, verse 40, when he said, therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. And so we went over that when Jesus talking about his coming, he says we're to be waiting for the return of the Lord. We're to be watching for the return of the Lord and we're to be ready because we don't know the day or the hour that Jesus is gonna come in in for his church in the rapture of the church or when he will come for us. But we need to be ready. And the question this morning is, are you waiting? Are you watching? Are you ready for the return of the Lord? And even though we can say we don't know the day or the hour, the times and seasons, we know that we're in the last days. We know that we're getting closer to that time of the rapture of the church. Could it be today? Could it be tomorrow, next week? We don't know the day or the hour, but the commandment is given to be watching, to be ready, because it comes at a time that we do not expect, when we least expect. And we are in the last days, and we are to be living every day And the expectancy, the blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ for his bride, for his church, for you and for me. Because he could come for us individually at any time. Tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Just as here the banquet was ready for these guests. Now they would get the invitation. They would get the time when they were to come. He would sit out, as I mentioned, the host of the feast, his servants, to tell everyone that dinner is ready. All things are now ready. Great preparation has been made. The invitation has gone out. And we know that the Lord has been doing that. He's talking to the nation of Israel here. The prophets had come on a scene for centuries talking about the coming of Messiah. They heard the voice of One crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist, that said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we know for us that as Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins and rose again, that the apostles, beginning to spread the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, uh, Samaria, uh, to the ends of the earth, and for the last 2,000 years, the church, his servants, have gone out to say that, Come, come, there's going to be a great banquet the wedding feast of the lamb and come the invitation being issued to come to Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that in the scripture it's always come? The Lord doesn't say, Oh, you're not worthy enough. You're not good enough. You're not popular enough. You're not pretty enough. So just go away. The invitation is always to come to humble yourself, to turn to him, because he loves you and he desires for you to come to, to receive eternal life and faith in him. To understand an invitation has been given for you to come in faith and realize that you're a sinner that is in need of forgiveness. And Jesus is the only one that died for you. And he loves you. And he conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. And the invitation is to come. You know, it's in John chapter one, that his first calling of the disciples, that he would say to those two disciples, that what do you seek? And they said, where are you staying, Lord? And Jesus said, come and see. We know that in John chapter 21, at the end of the book, we know that wonderful story of of Peter being commissioned to ministry. One of the places that we went to um, when we were in the Galilee region, uh, is Capernaum's nestled right on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. You go and see the ruins today. But nearby, there's this church of uh, primacy that is there. And there's a beach area that is close by Capernaum on the north side of Sea of Galilee. Even today, fishermen fish on that side of the sea because that's where it's more shallow. That's where more of the fish are. They fish at night just as they did 2,000 years ago. So we went to that place where it's kind of a beach area and it is it's presumed that somewhere in that area that Jesus commissioned Peter to ministry. John chapter 21, as you read the story, it was after that Peter, of course, denied the Lord three times at Caiaphas' house when Jesus went on trial. And when the sound of the rooster came, that Peter wept bitterly. He had thought he had sent away the day of grace. He thought he had severed his relationship with Jesus forever. And he goes up to the Galilee. He's fishing with some of the disciples. And it tells us in John chapter 21 that they fished all night long and they caught nothing. And all of a sudden, there's one on the shore that that calls out, have children, have caught any fish? And they said, no. That was a miracle right there. That fisherman told the truth. But they said, no. Well, cast your nets on the right side. And as they did, They caught all kinds of fish. And Peter, he knew this is the Lord. And he dives into the water. He swims up to shore. And there he's dripping wet. And Jesus has a fire. And he has fish. And he has breakfast. And he says, come and eat. I want to ask you a question. What is it that you seek? And maybe you're here. And I know a vast majority of people that have come through the services this morning that you've responded to the invitation. To come to Jesus Christ that you know that there's a great supper the marriage feast of the lamb that we have a seat that's reserved for us but even in this life what is it that you seek what is it that you seek and the Lord says come and see and come and eat and for all of us are you here Maybe you've never come to Jesus. You're trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment. You're trying to find peace in your life. You're trying to find joy and true happiness. And you're not going to find it in the world. And the very thing that those guys toil for all night long. Jesus had it all along right there. And the very thing that you're looking for to find satisfaction and fulfillment that peace, you know, that joy in your heart that the world is looking for in so many different ways, Jesus has it for you if you come to him. Because he said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. He desires for you to be truly fulfilled and satisfied in this life. But it isn't going to be by prioritizing this world. It's going to come by following after Jesus Christ, by him truly being the Lord of your life, by surrendering to him, and him blessing you in every way that he wants to and desires to. So what happens oftentimes is the invitation was given, and now everything is ready, come, and and the dinner is ready, excuses came. And the same thing happens today. Let's read about it in verse 18. But they, with all one accord, after the invitation was given, come for all things are ready, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it and I ask you to have me excused. Verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I have asked you to have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the ones who were invited began to make excuses. And as you look at these excuses, they were not even good excuses. I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. Now, which one of us would buy a some property or that we would buy home first and then, well, I'm going to go see it. Uh, I'm going to go look at it. We wouldn't do that. We go look at it first. We go look at that home and then we buy it. Most of us, I think, that are here, if not all of us, we know when we issue perhaps an invitation, maybe you have a neighbor or family members, or maybe you have, you know, just some old friends, uh, somebody at work that you want to just share with them. You want to encourage them. You want to give the gospel to them. So maybe you invite them to to dinner over at your house, maybe out to some coffee. And you can tell when they're making excuses, right? You can tell when they come up with those excuses because a lot of times they're not even really good excuses. Maybe you invite them to church and they say, well, we can't go on Sunday morning. You know, We don't have anything to wear. We got to do laundry. Or that's when we go to the store grocery shopping or it's the only time that we have to sleep in. Well, we got 11 o'clock service. Well, we really sleep in. (laughs) With spring coming, I know one of the excuses that is given, oftentimes people tell me is, well, Sunday is the morning that we mow the lawn. So people will come up with all kinds of excuses why they wanted to come to hear the gospel, to be ministered to. Now remember, this is an invitation to a great feast. People making excuses, not even good excuses. The second person, he gives uh, an excuse as well. I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. That's 10 oxen. That's five pairs. This is a huge investment. And you're going to buy them first and then you're going to test them to see if they're going to work. And the excuses would be insulting to the host who gave these invitations. It would be like somebody here saying, well, I just bought 10 cars, you know, and, and then I'll go and look at them. Or we live in an agriculture area. Those of you who, you know, farm the land, what if you bought 10 pieces of expensive farm equipment first? And then you said, well, I'll go look at it and see if it works. We wouldn't do that. And then the third excuse comes and I can't come. I've married a wife and I'm not sure what that's all about, but that's the excuse that was given here. <laughs> I married a wife. I can't come. But I do know that people can come up with the same excuses today. My possessions I have to take care of. All my stuff, my toys, my property, my vocation, my job, my relationships. It doesn't allow me to come and seek God at this time in my life. Because I got buying to do. I got plowing to do. I'm married, my family, my kids, they're young. We, we can't make it. Maybe when they get a little older, things settle down. Maybe we'll come. Maybe we'll, we'll think about the Lord. But right now, no time for the Lord. Listen, if you're married, anyone who's married and has a family, you better make time for the Lord. Because this world is messed up. And we need to understand that the point of this parable is that there are no good excuses And we are being reminded and told that there's going to be a great feast that is going to be prepared. Again, this is reality, the marriage feast of the Lamb. And people will get so desensitized about the eternal because all that matters to them right now is the temporal. And the creator of the universe is issuing an invitation to an eternal feast. And he wants to fill his house. That's what's being told to us Repeatedly in this parable. I want to fill my house. There's plenty of room and anyone who accepts that invitation is welcome. He welcomes you to come. Jesus said in that upper room to his disciples when he said that he was going to go away. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you and I go and prepare a place for you. And a place has been prepared for you. And a seat is reserved for you for this great supper that will take place in heaven. And if you've never done that, an invitation now is given to you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Give your life to Jesus because he is the way. He would say to them, I am the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And he proved who he was by rising from the grave. After he cried out from the cross, it is finished. He did the work. He paid the price. You just need to realize you need Jesus. That you're a sinner like all of us are in need of forgiveness. He made atonement for your sins. He rose from the grave. The tomb is empty. We were at the garden tomb just a few days ago. The tomb is empty. He conquered sin and death. And no one else did that for you. We were also on the Mount of Olives just a few days ago. And the Mount of Olives has a lot of significance in the scripture. Jesus spent, you know, his nights on the Mount of Olives. He gave Olivet discourse. Um, we know that uh, he would get on a donkey and make his triumphal entry from the Mount of Olives, riding down the hill, across the Kidron Valley into the city. But also we know that the Mount of Olives, that there's significance in the future. As Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that when Jesus Christ comes back, that behold, he comes with 10,000s of his saints. Jude tells us, but Zechariah chapter 14 says that he'll touch down on the Mount of Olives and it will heave in half and we're going to come back with him. That's our future. We're going to have dinner with the Lord. There's a place reserved in heaven and he wants his house to be full. He wants you to come if you haven't done that. We have a wonderful future as Christians and nothing in this world can come close to even comparing to that, it's an eternal, eternal hope that we have. The blessed hope, the living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Eternity awaits us. And I don't know if these guests expected to get another invitation later, but it wouldn't come. And the Bible says that it's accounted once for man to die and then the judgment. There will be no other invitations. There will be no other invitations. And when your life comes to an end, it will be too late. Well, Jesus has more to say in this parable. Let's read in verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes and the cities and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. We go back earlier in the previous chapter. Remember, Jesus is only a few months from going to the cross. So as he's in the area of Judea, he's close to Jerusalem. He's going to be making his way up to Jerusalem to accomplish the very feet that he came, that is to die for sinful humanity. And he's being very direct. He's being very honest and talking about salvation. And in the previous chapter, there was one in verse 22 that said, you know, or in verse 23, are there only few that are saved? And Jesus said that, listen, that the gate is narrow and many will seek to enter, but will not be able to. In Jerusalem, In Israel, gates are a big deal. In the old city of Jerusalem, there's seven gates around uh, the old city. There's the Dung Gate. There's the Eastern Gate, the Damascus Gate. There's the Lion's Gate, the Zion Gate. There's all these gates, and they have significant meetings. those gates. But there's only one gate. There's only one door to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the door. And then as he would talk about Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem. As they just presumed that they were saved because they were descendants of Abraham, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood on her wings, but you were not willing. And now your house is left to you desolate. And we see that all of a sudden he gets invited to the home of a Pharisee. He accepts because he wants to try to minister to them. He wants to try this have them open their eyes and see their hypocrisy and Jesus deals with them and he deals with the crowd that whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted and when you give a feast you go out and invite the poor the lame the blind and blessed are you because you'll be repaid in the resurrection of the just and then one says hey blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom listen Jesus is being very honest here and deliberate he has something to say to us and he gives this story to show those who perhaps the religious people of the land sitting around with cold hearts presuming upon their eternal state that they were going to eat bread in the kingdom when they were lost and hear Jesus telling this story you have come up with excuses not to receive me you're going to reject me in a few months, you're going to be crying out, crucify him. You won't come to the feast. It's interesting when you're overseas that people say, oh, America, Christian nation. We have a lot of Christians here, but we're not a Christian nation anymore. We've got a lot of problems. Spiritually, we're getting further away from the Lord. Spiritually, we are rejecting the Lord. And as we today are here, people will presume upon their eternal state. They'll say, well, I'm a good person. I work hard. You know, I belong to a church. I was confirmed in a church. My parents were Christians. But they're full of excuses why they won't personally come to Jesus Christ. Listen, a church will not save you. Listening to a Bible study won't save you. Having your name on the membership role of a church or being confirmed in a church won't save you. There are those who say, well, I just need to be a good person. Whatever you believe, you know, it's okay. But I'm busy right now with my occupation, my jobs, my business, trying to come up with a career. When things settle down, maybe I'll try to get closer to God. Maybe it's because of relationships. I want to find a wife. I want to find a husband. My boyfriend, my girlfriend wouldn't like it if if I came to Jesus. I want to hang out with friends, with buddies. I want to party. I want to have some fun. And they're all bad excuses. One commentator said a person who is good at excuses is usually not good at anything else. And the master here, he's upset. He's angry. Great preparation has been made. Oh, he's upset because the invitation has been given and they come up with these excuses. Interesting, in Proverbs chapter one, a book of wisdom, there's a call of wisdom. And in verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way, which is rotten fruit, and be filled to the full with their own fancies. These are sobering parables that Jesus is giving, and he's going to continue to give them. You can't just presume because you're descendants of Abraham that you're going to eat bread in the kingdom. You have rejected me, the one that was told by the prophets that I would be coming to be your deliverer. We know that the apostles would give that message Shortly after this, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, and it spread to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the church for the 2,000 years have been issuing an invitation to come, that there's a great feast that's going to happen. But yet people ignore it. They don't want to hear it. So here in this parable, the master says, you go out and invite the lame, the poor, the blind. You see, the poor, they couldn't buy any oxen. The blind, they couldn't look at any land to get. And the lame, usually they wouldn't get married. They had no excuses. They would be thrilled. They would be excited to be invited to this great, great feast. They had no excuses. Go out. And we know specifically that Jesus is talking about the Gentiles. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, And we, before we came to Jesus Christ, we were blind and we were lame and and we were ones that couldn't see. We were ones that were poor spiritually. But when somebody told us the gospel, there was an excitement that Jesus Christ loves me and died for me. It's made a way to come into right relationship with the Father and to be forgiven and have eternal life. And there's a great feast that is going to come. That we get to sit at and we have an invitation, we have a reserved seat. It's talking about great feasts. In Solomon's day in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 23, King Solomon, his daily provision for one day was 10 fat oxen, 100 sheep, along with deer, gazelles, and all kinds of fowls, birds, quails, everything. And there was eating and drinking and rejoicing. And this feast, our king is going to have, is going to be infinitely greater. And the invitation is given to those, all of us, who have been spiritually blind and lame and poor, but he's opened our eyes, he's freed us, and and we are wealthy. Do you realize that if you have Jesus Christ, you may not have two dimes to rub together, but you are wealthy, because you have the riches of Christ. And those who do not have Jesus Christ, you're poor. You know, one of the things that we realized in Israel, you go and you see all the sights, And it opens up the Bible. But one of the things that really comes across also when you're in Jerusalem is there is a lot of religiousness. You got East Jerusalem. You got a lot of Muslims that are there. And the call of the Muslims would go out over loudspeakers five times a day and they would be in their prayers. Then you have Judaism and the Jews and and. And keeping of the law, and you hear a lot about the law. And we went to the temple institute, and how you know purification was important, and the most minute details, and getting ready for the third temple. We'll explain that as we go and present our trip to you. But then also, you know, on the Sabbath, all these rules they follow: no driving, no work. And when you're in the hotels, they even got. A, a, a elevator a sabbath sabbat elevator that you stand there if you're orthodox jews and you wait for the door to open you don't push a button you go in it closes it goes to the first floor opens up then it closes goes to the second floor opens up and closes because they're not allowed to push a button not allowed to drive till sunset and even in Christianity, the Orthodox, the Russian and Greek Orthodox and others, the religiousness that is there. One of the, the, the places, they have the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where they believe it's one of the spots, the church built over it, where they believe Jesus died and then close by, you know, a, uh, down a little tomb where they believe that's where he was buried. And what we do is there's another site called the Garden Tomb that I believe that perhaps that's a lot closer to where Uh, Again, Jesus was crucified and they found a garden nearby. It was by a main road. It just fits the description a lot better uh, of the gospel accounts of Golgotha in a garden tomb. They found a tomb there. It is 2,000 years old. And it's a wonderful place. And the Christians go there and there's singing and there's rejoicing and, and it's just a happy place. And you go into the tomb and it's empty and it's wonderful, but you go to the church of the Holy Sepulchre where the Orthodox Christians go. And there's like a rock there and there's all these censers over it. And people are kissing the rock and they're laying on it and they're, they're weeping. And then you go down these steps and where this kind of tomb is, and there's people in there weeping and crying. It's weird. And it really hit me that religion can keep you so far away from the Lord. And what I hope and pray is that you would understand and realize that you have relationship and how blessed that you are. And that that we have the joy of the Lord because of that relationship. And the Lord lives in our hearts. You know, holy spots are a big thing. But we can pray wherever we're at. We have the Lord in our hearts. We have relationship with him. That should cause us to rejoice. So here, you know, go out and compel them to come. Go out, speaking of the Gentiles, as they would go out to the Gentiles, that my house may be filled. And the time's gonna come when the door's gonna be closed and those who have made excuses, it will be too late. Listen, I wanna bring it home a little bit closer. Are you issuing the invitation? There's a story in 2 Kings chapter seven. And in that story, Samaria was being sieged by the Syrians. Samaria was the capital of the 10 Northern tribes of Israel. The Syrian soldiers surrounded the city wouldn't allow food or water to get in. The people were beginning to starve. They were held in bondage and captivity. And there was four lepers that were outside the city wall because they couldn't go into the city. And they're about ready to die. And and they said, you know what? We can't go into the city. So why don't we surrender to the Syrians? If they kill us, we're going to die anyway. But let's go, at least we might get fed and they might hold us as slaves. So what they did is they made their way over to the Syrian camp. Well, right before that, what happened was God made this big noise and the Syrians fled in great fear. They just threw their weapons down on the ground. They took off and the fires were still burning. The lepers get there and they're saying, what's going on here? There's still food in the pots and they went from pot to pot. They went from tent to tent. They began to gather the spoils. And then finally one of them said, hey, this isn't right. This is a day of good news. And we remain silent. Let's go and tell the people of Samaria. And they did. They told the watchman, hey, the Syrians are gone. And the city was liberated. We have good news to give to others. How can we keep silent? The greatest news ever declared in the history of mankind that Jesus Christ, the Son of God who loved us so much, came to this world to take care of the sin problem. He went to the cross to die for your sins and he rose again to prove that he is the son of God. And the invitation is call upon him and come. Realize your need to be forgiven, that he is Lord and savior. There's none other, there's no other road, no other door to heaven. He proved that he's the son of God. No one else died for you. No one else rose from the grave, only Jesus Christ. And the invitation right now is come. Come. And he wants to give you life. And he wants to give you life abundantly. I don't care what you've done. With this world. is not your hope. And this world will only bring death. It's Jesus that brings life. And it's Jesus that will bring life to you. As you come to him. And I hope and pray that you would give that that message to others. How, how can we remain silent? We got good news to give and Lord help me to show the reality of Jesus in my life. And by the way I live an opportunity to share that with others who are lame, who are blind, who are poor spiritually, that they might be freed, that they might be able to see that they might be forgiven and saved. Jesus Christ desires to use us his servants to issue that invitation so father we thank you we thank you so much lord for this story that jesus came and told 2000 years ago told to us that lord that we would remember that there is a great feast that's going to be issued and its the invitation has been given So, before we come to the communion table, which is for the believer, remembering what Jesus did and dying for our sins and rising from the grave, allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed. That if you're here, you've never come to Jesus Christ. He loves you. You can't earn your way to heaven, you can't be worthy of it. You come in faith, believing that he died for your sins and crying out to him and asking for forgiveness. And for him to be your personal Lord and Savior. And you will be a part of the kingdom of God. That's what grace is all about. He did the work on the cross. You come in simple faith, humbling yourself. And you can do that right now. You pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask that you would forgive me. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as Lord and Savior. Help me to know you, to walk with you. I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for saving me. I thank you for the promise of eternal life and to come in the right relationship with the Father that comes only through you. Thank you for loving me in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, Pastor John's going to be up front. Come up and tell me the decision you made or come and tell me. But we want to pray with you and bless you and make sure you got a Bible and encourage you. If you're listening on live stream, call the church this week or on the radio later. Give us a call. We want to encourage you in every way. But now as we come to the communion table, that you, as you hold those elements, it would be a time of worship And just great joy remembering what Jesus did for us and allowing his body to be broken and bloodshed for the forgiveness of sin. In Jesus' name.